Hi, and welcome back to the Fleet Navigator podcast, your go-to GPS for all fleet matters. From Lease Plan, once again, I'm joined by Caroline Sandler. Morning, Caroline. How are you? Good morning. I'm fabulous. Thank you. <laughs> Good to hear it. So we are just days away, finally, from a budget, um, unless anything unusual happens in the next few days. March the 11th is the date, next Wednesday, as uh, our new Chancellor Rishi Sunak will take to the floor and present from the dispatch box. But it should we should reflect, it's the first budget of Boris Johnson's government. We were supposed to have one last November, but um, a little thing called Brexit got in the way and delayed matters. Uh, but it's uh, we, we live in fairly historic times. This is the first time that a government has taken its seats in the Houses of Parliament in session again without a finance bill enacted in law. But obviously Brexit, um, the, the votes were necessary to disentangle all of those competing views. But we now have a Conservative budget or a Conservative parliament with a really healthy parliamentary majority behind it. Um, so whatever um, Rishi um, proposes next week and will probably be flagged through. But interesting to see what comes up next week, I guess. Yeah. And as you said, it, it's very unprecedented the times that we're in. I'm looking forward to the next budget. I'm feeling vaguely hopeful. <laughs> just because of some of the statements that have recently been made around the whole road to decarbonisation. I'm really hoping that the government gets behind that fully and protects some of the things that we'll, we'll go on to talk about, but, but really gives us a lot more of a detailed plan as to how they're going to achieve that and hopefully do that by supporting the company car industry more. I think it's a really good point because at the moment we have words. We've seen the deadline reduced from 2040 to 2035 for no more internal combustion engine car sales and clarification that that will also include hybrids, uh, which we didn't really have anything firm before. And then all of a sudden we start talking about 2032 and it just kind of underlines, if not undermines, the 2035 statement that the government don't seem to have an overall plan as to how these things are going to be achieved. We've talked about the fact that new home, new housing builds should be coming with solar panels and with charge points already installed so that impact on the grid can be assessed on a larger scale rather than piecemeal as people are installing charge points. It's just, you know, one of the measures and some of the kind of micro rather than macro thinking the government needs to do when you actually think that the new deadline is potentially only 12 years away, you know, only non-internal combustion engine vehicles will be will be for sale exactly and there is a real lack of detail there has been um you know admiral targets very very challenging targets but now's the time they need to get right down into that final level of detail and and fully map out how that's going to be achieved so you should probably uh, we should probably draw it a little bit back up we'll, we'll come on to that in more detail um but we should probably make a few observations around the general economic outlook that's in flight at the moment, because there's a lot of things that are going on. We've already mentioned Brexit. And whilst we are now in the transitionary phase, as we are intending to exit at the end of the year, it is a transitionary phase. We haven't exited yet. And there's a couple of key dates along the way that people should be aware of. The first one, really momentous date, is the 31st of July. And it's fairly well documented, in, but only in the small print, that if neither party has served an extension or a request for an extension to the other party by the 31st of July, then it cannot be extended. We are, we are locked in and we are bob on for the 31st of December, no matter what. And that's a, that's a really important date. So that's not a EU throwing their toys out of the pram or our government throwing their toys out of the pram. That's enacted in article in the Article 50 laws that says if you get to this date six months before the day deadline and you haven't served that notice, then you are coming out. And we will either be 
have a glorious trade deal, as I'm listening to some of the narrative on the way in this morning on the newswires, or it'll it'll be slightly more difficult than that and we'll have something akin to Canada. Slightly more difficult, yes. And there's a whole <laughs> range of quite worrying concepts there of, you know, no deal is, is still one of the potentials and, yeah. and absolutely nobody wants to be in that situation. And, and certainly with within automotive, um, that is just bad news all round. Yeah, it is. I think from some of the plans that we made last time and, and I guess the challenge for our customers and, and people listening to this podcast is, you know, Lease Planet itself is a, a large multinational organisation who have the manpower to convene the, the 12 people that we convene in the UK to kind of think about this and understand deeply the tax reasons, the customers and excise challenges, some of the issues around tariffs on parts and import of, of vehicles. And, you know, smaller organisations don't have that luxury. So we have a number of, of, of plans in place that we can enact, depending on what happens throughout the course of the year, to minimise disruption to our business and to our customers' businesses. And, you know, obviously we are available to, to help our customers through that. But it will not be without its challenges if, you know, we are either going to exit with a limited trade deal, is what it seems like, or we could still exit with no deal at all. And everything that we were worried about for October the 31st last year of coming out where that a no deal won't have changed we will just be 15 months further on yeah and I think this the worries that we had at that point um, you know the impact of no longer having frictionless borders uh, what that means for supply of parts and the impact on our, we are so used to just in time operations and that that does appear to be under threat and the impact that has I, I don't think we can underestimate how painful that could be and all of that would, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how much makes it into the OBR's forecast moving into uh, next week. And obviously we should probably make mention as well of COVID-19 or the coronavirus. And again, we would expect to see some more observations as to potential out, uh, effects on world markets next week. One to watch, definitely. Definitely one to watch. So... There's lots of growth forecasts around in terms of how much the UK is growing. I think one of the things that we should probably start to think about as well is around the company car tax piece. You know, we can we can put some stuff in the supplementary notes around some of the growth forecasts, but again, until we until we start seeing some of the results from the OBR next week, we we're, we're kind of nibbling at the edges, if you will, as as to what we're expecting. But some of the things that we do need to focus on for you guys out there um, is is the company car tax regime. So this is a really important one to watch. Again, we are in untested waters that as an industry, so as a group of regulatory bodies, as a group of leasing companies, for you, our customers and drivers, we are operating on a bunch of assumptions at the moment around company car tax that appeared in last year's draft finance bill. And of course, it hasn't been enacted in law. Parliament have uh, has re retired for the summer and, and retreated over the winter. They've now they are now resitting, and we are expecting both a finance bill and a red book. But you know, let's hope there aren't any changes to what's already been put forward. Let's hope not. And and realistically, should we feel comfortable that they will just be ratified in the finance bill? Yeah, I think we should. The likelihood of them making substantial and immediate changes, I think, are fairly slim to none. Well, let's hope so. Well, let's let's hope that they decide they've got other things that they need to worry about and focus on not company car tax, however dear it is to our hearts. 
But we should be very welcoming, as we were when the government made its announcements that we are moving into a new regime where the lowest um, CO2 vehicles are 0%. So for vehicles that are full electric um, or hydrogen or vehicles that do 130 zero emission miles or more, um, so very efficient hybrids, which it's truth be told don't exist at the moment. But from 2020 to 2021, they will be zero rated. So for the first time, there will be company cars that attract no company car tax, but also no national um, insurance contributions. So no 13.8% paid by employers. So these cars are incredibly attractive. And when you start looking at salary sacrifice wrappers on these cars to alleviate some of the costs to provide them from employers, they become very, very attractive indeed. And if you look at the the overall impact of, of WLTP, it's been enormous. We've we've all felt the challenges um, ever since it was announced and, and certainly we've seen the company car makeup significantly change with models falling away or being substantially re-engineered, lineups being re-engineered. Um, the introduction of more mild hybrid to bring down CO2s mm-hmm. um, and we can reasonably expect that's going to continue and the situation will settle down in time. Um, it's still a bit bumpy in terms of product availability as we move through there but I think we can look forward to you know the next three, six, nine months that there'll be more and more and more low emission hybrids, better EVs, more available EVs it's going to improve. We know it's going to improve. And I think it's, you know, we've already seen, you, you, you touch on supply, Caroline, and I think that's that's one of the big challenges for organisations who are, who are looking to move into that EV market. When you consider that um, VWID3 came on sale in inverted commas a couple of weeks ago, that car sold out in two minutes and has a waiting list of 20,000 units with supplies not being sorted out until 2021. That's not a, you know, VW have been completely honest about it. It's a very attractive EV. It's 250 miles plus in its standard configurations. It's £26,000. It's golf-sized. You know, it's a it's a game-changing car. It's no wonder it disappeared off quite as quickly as it did, with very few of those vehicles being made available for fleet. But VW are one of those organisations who are making a massive change. They'll have three ID platform factories by the end of 2022. And they're already talking about stocks for 2021 being revised so that people have got the opportunity to order. So more and more models in that mid-sector are coming through. We've got Polestar 2 coming later in the year, which is a gorgeous kind of mid-50 grand car. So it's not cheap but it's kind of upper upper middle segment. It's not, you know, Tesla-esque money by any stretch of the imagination. And more and more, and I was I saw the advert for the new Corsair E last night as well, which looks super actually as a as a as a piece of product. Although interestingly, it's amazing how our perception changes, isn't it? Because when the miles came up as 209, you kind of thought, oh, it's a bit low. <laughs> yeah. We're already used to looking for 250 to 300 yeah, plus. Yeah, yeah. And you know, that that's just around the corner. I think fleets have every reason to be hopeful and start looking at that EV readiness and EV rollout plan because that broader range of product and at a more affordable price. I know fleets talk about whole life cost versus rental and the challenges that that creates, but we are on the cusp of of that revolution of most people being able to quite comfortably choose an EV. Mm, agreed. And what will be interesting as well is as as we move forward is the government's plans are they again going back to this macro versus micro idea 
as to if you are genuinely now talking about 2032, so 12 years away, which is not not long at all, then what are your plans for the secondhand market? How are you going to move some of these vehicles off the road? I mean, Caroline and I are sat in a studio in, in White Ladies Road in Bristol this morning, and this time next year, you will not be able to drive a diesel in the centre of town, so long as their plans get get ratified next year that the first city to go for a a, a ban um, an outright ban on diesel vehicles um, they're not even restricting it to euro six and above they've simply said there are no diesels between certain hours of the day um, before nine and after three in a, in a in a center part of town again so thinking about okay so what help is going to be made available what funding is going to be made available to help people with that transition and help people make that move that's going to be really interesting as well and that whole charging environment too um i think people still have that residual concern if if they can't just have a home charge point today how do they manage and we're starting to see fleets look at uh, clever ways of supporting people and helping and certainly we're doing that in helping drivers to understand what their options might be but certainly some of the analysis that we've been doing recently there are so many fleets where their average trip is less than 70 miles you think if that's an average day then people's assumption that they need to be able to be plugging in and charging during the day charging at night well actually a lot of people they won't it'll be two maybe three times a week with the ranges of, of newer vehicles yeah and it's again as, as uh, you know hybrids get longer and longer ranges which is what those tax tables are there for those are a transitional vehicle so if you think about typical renewal cycles even for companies who are just starting on their on their ev journey there's at least one to two renewal cycles before they would have to make the switch although i would say that the vast majority of companies prospects customers that i've spoken to and i think you're the same over the course of the last six months to a year are already on that journey and really steaming ahead with how do we rather than when can we it's very much a where's the supply how do we get the vehicles how do we get people to make the switch how do we educate drivers how can you support us because we want to get there and we want to get there quickly Mm. And it's great to hear. And, you know, it's part of companies overall sustainability plans. And certainly I've seen many boards taking the lead and saying the time has gone for us to be looking and saying it's it's not here yet. It's maybe another 12 months away. Most companies are saying, right, what can we do now and how do we plan to go full EV? How quickly can we do it? Not when should we do it? It's what are the phases that for our particular company make up? What do we need to do? And even companies looking at changing the way that they operate so that they become able to take on more EVs rather than just, you know, lift and drop in terms of vehicle types. And one of the things that we are encouraging people to do in, in our conversations is to start the thinking early. So there's, you know, people are still pointing at the lack of supply sometimes as a reason not to not to make make a start on their on their planning and my guidance and my my advice to people has been that there's plenty of things and plenty of challenges that you will face along the way that you need to resolve as you go that you can start now so very simple things such as is the supply to the building is the copper to your to your infrastructure your offices capable of taking the number of charges that you're going to need to support your EV fleet how many charge points will you need a very basic question that has some very simple straightforward answers but actually if you want to get to a a reasonable answer as to what you need it's based on wattage it's based on people's 
travelling behaviours to and from the office, it's the number of people who are able to charge at home, there will always be some. And those challenging drivers, you've already made mention of them, are those higher mileage drivers that live in rented accommodation who are not able to have a charge point at home. How do you support those guys? How, how are you going to make sure that they're kept mobile in this move? Is hybrid still an answer for those outliers or is it as an absolute commitment to EV100? So all of those things need brain power and thinking time and you will need to talk to your DNOs, your, your, your network operators, your distributors in terms of what are we going to need to do, what can we do. So if I think about ourselves as a lease plan, we will be putting in circa 30 charge points to support our move by the end of next year. We are having to go through an upgrade process. And back to the budget, one thing I would say is that it's very welcome that the costs of the hardware we can offset 100% first year in first year allowances, which is great against our profits. But one of the challenges is, is that the cost of the upgrade to the network, the copper that comes into Slough, is more than the cost of the hardware. And you can't offset that against your first year allowances. So again, part of the lobbying that we've been doing in conjunction with BVRLA that is, is to kind of encourage, look at, look at the wider picture, look at the bigger investment that people are having to make to make this move and address that in the budget as well. Yeah, and it's part of of that micro level of detail, mm. as you mentioned just now, is is all the things that need to change and improve in order to, to help the general public move and make that switch for 12 years' time. Because, you know, for a fleet, that's that's two renewals. Yeah, it's not not long. It's, it's you know, it's 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 really really close. So again, you know, the sooner fleets start working out what they need to change, and if they can't introduce EV vehicles tomorrow, it's all of the other things that need to be in place so that they can say right in six months' time we will be ready. We can flip the switch then, knowing that there'll be better products, knowing that we've got our charging sorted, all those plans are all in place. So yeah, the time is now to to start making those plans, even if. Hmm. For whatever reason, you can't start adopting these vehicles tomorrow. Yeah, the terrifying realisation for me was that in less time uh, than it has been since I've been with Lease Plan, we will not be leasing internal combustion engine vehicles anymore, yeah. which is quite a, a staggering consideration, really, in terms of the preparation that we're going to need. So we should probably, we, we talked about charging points, we've talked about infrastructure. Probably one of the darker clouds on the horizon for the budget is the noise around the plug-in car grant at the moment and the grant that's been made available for EV. We know that Treasury are uncomfortable with what they are on record as saying is a blank cheque. We know they've already talked about removing the grant or only supporting the grant for 2020. I think one of one of the things that I'm certainly keeping my eyes on for next week when the Red Book is released is what are you going to do with that grant? I think that's going to be a real challenge and I think for it'd be very easy and it would be very cynical for the government to you could you could almost see them removing the car grant and then saying in 12 months time well there's been no downturn in take up of EVs well of course there haven't because EVs will outstrip the the, the supply of EVs the demand for EVs will outstrip supply by 4 to 1 will continue to do so. So the government would be able to point in 12 years, 12 months time and say, well, there's been no effect on the markets, which would be a very cynical move. And and personally, I am very concerned that a government removing that grant. It's, it's part of the suite of measures that they need to maintain in order to accelerate the changeover to, to EVs. And for a lot of people, 
plug-in hybrids for the next renewal is absolutely a stepping stone to EVs, ultimately to hydrogen, to fuel cells, all of the other sources of energies that we're, we're talking about for vehicles. So I, I would be really disappointed if, if they pull the plug. <laughs> first first pun, first pun of the podcast. Yeah, I see what you did there. Yeah. Very good. I, I really, really hope that they carry on supporting it and, you know, whether there's more grading or whether it changes, but if they're really committed to pulling people through into that alternative product, then it has to stay. But important to look at the finer detail if it does stay. Because, yeah. because on the one hand, you've got treasury, on the one hand, you've got revenue. And between them, they're also talking about raising taxation by increasing vehicle excise duty on internal combustion engines to support the grant. So if the grant does remain in place, it'll be really important next week. Not that we would expect any of you guys to sift through the 185 page red book. That's what we're here for. And we've got another podcast that'll, that'll come out shortly after Friday the 13th. Hopefully that's not any sort of prediction as to how dark the budget will be. But again, it's important to look at, okay, so how are you going to sustain that grant? How are you going to make the numbers add up if you keep it? And we should also look and and start to think about, are the governments starting to think seriously about how they recover some of the losses in fuel? So we've talked about it on this podcast before. We, we have to be sensible and think however acrimonious and however we feel thinking about the fact that, you know, 76% of the cost when we fill up our cars is tax and duty. You know, we should recognise that that is money that the government will lose on every litre of fuel that isn't going in an EV anymore. So again, how are you going to support the roads and the infrastructure? What are you going to do to plug that gap? You know, this, the clear answer is road user pricing. But a government that proposes that is not going to be in power at the next election. Well, certainly we've sat in the room with with various fiscal people, stats people, treasury people that have gone quite pale when you talk about moving to that because they recognise that even though at the moment it's a a form of tax on use because every time you put fuel in your car, you're paying tax. But switching away from that to something that is more of a toll for physically driving on that piece of tarmac you know is a guaranteed vote loser so there will have to be some form of phasing to turn the public round to accepting that that is going to be the way that they are taxed in future and and moving away from fuel duty but whether they do something immediately and you know unfreeze fuel duty that would be an easy way of generating income it's going again it's going to be enormously unpopular for for day-to-day drivers but for you know logistics it's an enormous enormous impact so that would be quite brave to take what appears to be a uh, an easy switch but it'd be enormously unpopular isn't it interesting how the last time they increased fuel duty we were at 119.9 for a litre there are thereabouts and the ferrari and the strikes and the, the panic buying of fuel and now 139.9 is a is a fairly normal price that you would see at the pumps and non-supermarket pump prices i would say and we've just kind of got used to those prices increasing by the OPEC nations and and, and the tariff setters anyway but you know it would be massively unpopular if they uh, uh, release that freeze but of course they could argue maybe cynically maybe not that they're undoing it to encourage again EV move towards you know move towards uh, more fuel efficient vehicles so again he's got you know, I, I I must admit, I don't envy our new Chancellor having three weeks to write a new budget if indeed he isn't actually delivering one that's already been written for him. Mm, yes, is that your cynical side, Carrie? <laughs> <laughs> Just a touch. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, fuel duty is is one that we should look out for. It has been frozen in inverted commas for some time, um, but we've commented before that the mechanism for raising the fuel duty is already in previous budgets. They're just choosing not to enact the RPI or CPI measure, whichever is the higher. So will Rishi Shunak keep it going for its its 10th year? Wow, then we, we will have to see. We should probably also mention fuel duty for or fuel vehicle excise duty for vans as well and yes it's uh, you look at how much change there's been for um cars versus vans and what we're seeing in terms of wltp co2 changes for vans um how that's going to work that's probably a whole other podcast on its own <laughs> um which most people will will already be turning pale at how that's actually going to work but very clearly doing something with vans whatever shape and form that takes has to be the next step now that so many changes have been implemented for cars so should we reasonably expect something to happen in this budget i wouldn't be at all surprised it's probably the right time to to make those changes and hopefully then announce what the next phase is for vans and hgvs in terms of bringing them along the the um the charge ahead to decarbonization see what i did there yeah another one that's <laughs> I think the van side is is going to be extremely interesting because, again, number one, you know, the budget, we've got used to a, a formal budget being the autumn statement again, which would have potentially given enough time for an introduction of something for an April 6th uh, tax year start. But all of these things that we are looking at now are in a budget that is less than, you know, a month away, less than three weeks away from the new tax year start. There's simply no way you would hope that measures that could be looked to be introduced would be delivered for the new 2020 tax year other than ratifying and rubber stamping all of the things that they've previously talked about so it's whether they then say it is what it is for the next tax year i.e what we announced last year and whether they make further changes for um, the 21 22 tax year which you know gives us some time but it entirely depends on the changes that they make indeed and of course they've got we mentioned wltp on vans that legislation comes in later on this year there has to be some very clear decisions uh, and again people forget that the wltp side isn't just a set of testing legislation uh, issued by the eu and revenue it still has to go through treasury approval revenue approval as to how you deal with some of the taxation elements particularly for vans where the uncertainty of after manufacturer fit options so to speak but before you know after the vehicle is registered but things that can make a significant difference to the vehicle so high ab cranes drop sides tail lift etc not that you'd see all of those things on the same vehicle necessarily but it doesn't make sense to have a testing regime that doesn't recertify those vehicles but nor does it make sense to recertify those vehicles and expect bodybuilders um, to to have to invest in the significant kit that is needed to retest those vehicles that is a real head scratch for the legislators to kind of work that through and work out exactly what that's going to look like without massively interfering in in the whole supply chain of yeah you know is it double testing is it how is it going to work it could um it could slow things down and as soon as you slow things down you start increasing costs and and impacting pricing throughout which clearly is no good news for anybody (laughs) 
<laughs> so I think the message is watch this space. We don't have long to wait. Uh, there, there was talk of the budget being delayed, which was, a, a no, again, a fairly terrifying uh, prospect because we just need some of this stuff sorted out. We had started talking about even more uncharted waters of moving into a new tax year without a, a finance bill in place, which would have been certainly I'm not quite sure what we'd have done but just continue as we are I guess but we will update you post budget next week as normal on the afternoon of, uh, of of the budget there'll be the normal press the normal media from lease plans so it'll be on our normal feeds it'll be on the insights page and updates as we go through the afternoon as we get through the red book and through the detail and then we'll get a more formal podcast put together Friday the 13th which should be out the following Monday so watch this space guys and we'll see you soon thank you Matt